Hey guys, you are on the 14th Step, a podcast about addiction and recovery. We are sponsored by the Golden Crescent Regional Recovery Initiative and affiliated with the Billy T. Catan Recovery Outreach Center here in Victoria, Texas. You can learn about both organizations in the description below the video. My name is Mark. I'm a professional counselor and a recovering addict. My name's Skip, and I'm a recovery coach or peer recovery specialist, and I'm a former addict. And I uh, just want to remind you guys, please subscribe and hit the like button. Uh, also, we'd love to know your thoughts about what we talk about today. So please comment below. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, definitely. And if you have any topics that you'd like us to talk about, did you already say that? No, that's good. You can put that in the comment Give below. Give us topics because we have to sit around and think about this stuff sometimes. Yeah, and, and, and you may really think of a good topic that would be fantastic for people to hear about. For sure. You know, I got a question for you. Okay. When do you think somebody realizes that they are an addict or that they are struggling with substance abuse? When does it cross that line from a casual imbiber to uh, where you go, you know what, I don't want to admit it, but I really am addicted to this? I think for some people, it just things have to get so bad that they just have to change. Unfortunately, there's something in recovery where all, people will talk about hitting rock bottom. And there is this idea that you have to hit rock bottom in order to change. That was my case. I My rock bottom, though, was kind of a slow roll into a dark place. There wasn't anything that necessarily happened. I wasn't threatened with the loss of a job or a legal problem. That's how a lot of people get into recovery. Yes. Because they lose something. Right. And they are essentially forced or given an ultimatum. It's like either you're going to change or this consequence is going to happen and it's going to be worse than what you can even fathom. And that happens a lot. We it see that all the time. all the time. Yep. That doesn't necessarily mean that the person will personally believe that they actually... Well, let me throw this out to that case scenario because I see this quite a bit. Let's say somebody does get caught with something or gets a DUI, multiple DUIs, or whatever situation, and they're compelled to make a change, but they're not ready to make a change. So is all of the stuff that they go through, you know, probation, parole, whatever it is for six months, a year, and they go right back into it. The compelling is not the answer. Or, or sometimes it is, I guess, but sometimes it's not. I think you should do something, you know. If, if you have someone who is stealing, you know, because they are trying to feed their addiction or they're committing crimes or they have three DWIs or they're drunk at work, you know, or doing something crazy. I think you should try to do something with that person, even if they aren't ready. If you compel someone to do something, the worst case scenario is that they're just going to be the way that they already are at the end of it. So it's not necessarily harming that person. Best case scenario is that they realize that they need to change and they get into recovery and they start surrounding themselves with other people who are in recovery. And but something clicks. Something clicks. Yeah. And it does sometimes. It. I don't ever want to lose hope. That's why you can't give up on people too. You don't give up on people. And I've we've had people in our 
as a counselor, I have had clients over and over again for as long as I've been there. And this is over the span of about nine years. There was clients nine years ago who are still coming into our program and who have never really gotten any clean time or, or had any desire to. But you you always want to give people the chance again to try and maybe something will click. There's some internal process that you can't force on anyone. Uh, you can't get anyone sober. Right. Right. But yeah. you can you can be an example of recovery for another person. Right. And sometimes that clicks. Yep. And sometimes it takes a hundred times and then that hundredth time something happens. Yeah. Yeah. And you hear these blanketed terms like rock bottom that you said. Uh, I don't know what that really means because it's different for every person. We talk, we've talked about recovery capital, right? Yeah. Where somebody that's homeless, jobless, doesn't have a car, doesn't have family to count on, their recovery capital is very low. Right. It, it's incredibly difficult for them to just maintain a daily activity. But then people that their their recovery capital is high, their rock bottom may be something completely different than the other person's rock bottom. You know, I didn't have to I was very, very lucky that I didn't have to hit uh, a rock bottom. There's no I guess what I'm trying to say is there's no definition that's one rock bottom. It's different for everyone. I was very lucky that I came to a point to where I finally realized after being knocked in the head with this over two decades that I can't stop by myself. Yeah. And when I got help, it clicked for me. I took the help and I've been able to really uh, uh, do really well in using that help. But there's a lot of people that they're not at that point to where they can accept that. You know, they're just not ready. It's... It's definitely something that is different for every person. I just I try to get people to think about their relationship with whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, and I ask that person, do you think your life is going to be better or worse, essentially, with or without it? Like, right. is your life going to be better if you put it down? How is your life going to be better? And that's something for everyone to think about. That's that's drinking or using even casually. Um Think about your relationship with the with the drug or the drink. Is this something that's helping you? Is it hindering you in some way? Is it limiting your own potential? You know, that's something that I try to get every person to think about that comes through our doors mm -hmm. that I talk to. And on some level, especially for people who, well, when we talk about like recovery capital and what kind of resources people have, there are people who are, their lives have been at rock bottom for years and years. Right. And so for them, in their mind, they can't even fathom not getting high because if then they don't if they don't get high, what are they left with? Right. Yeah. And so then it becomes a matter of trying to build someone up a little bit. Well, how are you gonna get the things that you want? How are you gonna get a vehicle? How are you gonna get a roof over your head? How are you gonna put a meal on the table uh, today? And when when you're in a downward spiral with things happening in your life there's almost a gravity gravitational force pulling you down mm -hmm. and i i talk to guys about this all the time 
the amount of energy it takes to have escape velocity from that is huge. You have to get things spinning the other direction. And that's different for every person, depending on where they are. But it's small goals, small wins, getting some success and something under your belt so you can see it. Because all it is is a life of failure and shame and denial and and so much negativity that the idea of spinning that around and going in the wrong direction is inconceivable. And sometimes you're starting at that point, and it's like you said, well, why in the world would they quit? That that thing they're taking is so they can numb that so they don't have to feel that way. You know, and that's, that's hard to fight. It is, and it's, it's even hard to convince people that are using, like, crazy drugs to, to put it down. Because you would think that if someone is... Doesn't isn't able to work really, or isn't able to get get it together, or they've had to like sell their vehicle, or they pawned everything, and basically their function is to, you know, shoot meth and peek out of their blinds all day, and you want to say like, look, if you can put the drug down, at least you're going to be able to leave your house. Yeah, like that's something good. Right. But I've had people convince me they will argue to the end of to their grave why meth is good for them wow and that's i mean crack you know i haven't really heard that one too much <laughs> yeah. like no one's really arguing the merits of like smoking crack i could line we could line up half this planet to tell you the benefits of marijuana oh yeah right? oh marijuana there's people who who will say marijuana will solve every single problem that there is because it's a plant. Because it's a plant. And it's natural, right? It, it Marijuana, I love talking about marijuana because it it's such a gray area because it's probably really good medicine in a lot of cases. And but, getting grayer. Yeah, get, and getting grayer for sure. But people, when people talk about the addictiveness of marijuana, and, and I get this all the time, it's impossible for marijuana to be addictive. It can't be addictive. It's impossible because it's natural, which the, the whole argument that it's natural is just completely not – that's stupid. But there is an argument to say that it is not a harmful drug. But is it an addictive drug? Yes, people get addicted to cannabis, and they'll even say it themselves. They'll be like, I'm not addicted to – marijuana but if i don't smoke then i go crazy yeah so it's like how is that how are you not dependent on that you're literally saying that you'll go crazy if you don't do this but my i'm telling you please tell me if i'm wrong here but being addicted to something isn't necessarily the what the substance is it's your state of mind on it because there are addicted people to gambling yeah gambling's not gambling's not a substance right pornography that's not a substance or whatever you're there's people game uh, there's people addicted to making money there's people addicted to food well i guess that is a substance. i'm counseling so i've counseled people on golf addiction (laughs) like they're they're on the golf course like because it's some sort of a it's some sort of a thing that your brain can release the dopamine or whatever yeah. feel good thing that it brings you and you can get addicted to that it's you know? always their marriage 
I could tell a person if there's a golf addict in my office. I'm they don't want to be home. It's your marriage because it can take the most Here's time. The bill. It's your marriage. You're done. <laughs> yeah, because it's four hours away. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's the longest hobby there is. It, it's, it, it takes forever. Yeah. Like, you just don't want to be. Not many people are addicted to running a 40-yard dash. It just doesn't take that, <laughs> no, it just doesn't take that much time. I uh, no, It's not <laughs> enough time away from the family. Well, it would be for me because it would take me four hours <laughs> to run a 40-yard dash. But for most people, they can run it in about 10 seconds and be done. But the, you, your point is exactly right. It, it's stupid to talk about the substance being addictive. Yeah. The substance is not the addictive part. If the substance was addictive, you would have every person who's in a hospital right now having surgery come out a dope addict. Every yeah. single one of them because they're all getting pharmaceutical heroin right now in the hospital. Yep. In the operation post op, you know, and the rates of addiction are pretty stable 10%. It's about 10%. And that's because there are certain people when they ingest a drug in some way that experience is so compelling that they feel a irresistible need to repeat it yeah yep. and it's not necessarily because of what kind of substance it is it's that the behavior is exciting or, or happy in some way mm -hmm. gives mm -hmm. you that little kick and like man it's I like you're putting this. on a warm coat yeah it's like yeah. a warm blanket in a, in a bottle or a pill or, or whatever. It's a relief. It's a relief. It's an escape. And it's like people who are addicts are you find whatever substance that suits them, whatever they like, and they latch on to that one. It's whatever gets them out of their own head the best. Mm -hmm. And they don't have to deal with what they're dealing with. They don't have to deal with what they're dealing with. That's why counseling can work. Even in a roundabout way, if I get someone, and you talk guys too, who's not ready to be sober, you can still work on the other stuff that they're trying to get away from. Yes. Like, let's help. What, what's going on that you can improve? Right. What little steps can you, just like you said, what little steps can you even take? Yep. Maybe you can get a driver's license. You know, maybe maybe there's some other little things that you can. Yeah, let's, maybe you can get away from some of these people that you're hanging out. Yeah, with. let's write. Let's. What, what would you like to? What would your life look like in 90 days if you could think of something Dude, good? I, I challenge. Then, and then six months, and then a year. I challenge that to people all the time, especially people who are like, I don't have a problem. It's like, well, quit for 30 days. Right. If you don't have a problem, then stop for 30 days. It should be easy. Yeah. If I told you not to eat a cashew for 30 days. You wouldn't even think about it. Right. Especially if you said if you didn't eat that cashew, a lot of th more positive things would happen That's what in I'm your saying. Life. Or if you did eat the cashew, you're going to go to jail and like lose your kids. Yeah, because you'll test positive for cashews. cashews. <laughs> but, That'd be terrible. But uh, I going back sort of to that question, let me ask you this. If you're when people are flirting with the with the drug or they're or they're doing it for a while and it's achieving their purpose of 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 self-medicating for whatever reason okay and then it's working you know that point to where you get to where that drug stops being it stops being you that's in control of taking that and all of a sudden it controls you yeah to where if you don't use that drug mm -hmm. you are in a world of hurt brother mm -hmm. and 
That's the completion that, of addiction. Is, that's the final step, That's the right? full circle. That's the, the full The addiction circle. is already there, but it, it becomes complete whenever there's that change. And that's all that 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 chemical change or whatever. Yeah. But that, you know, on, on some level, that doesn't really mean anything to people either. It's like, well, do you think there's a chemical change in your brain that's causing you to, to be compelled? I mean, people know if they get sick when they stop using it or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it seems like it, medically speaking or chemically speaking, you get to a point where your body quits producing dopamine because you're artificially taking it and it, flooding your receptors with it. And when you, when you, if you stop and go into withdrawal, you're you're done. You're hosed. Yeah, you're, you've, because you're, you're it's worthless. the exact opposite of yeah. a good feeling. You that's, know what I mean? That's depression. That's that's when people get suicidal. That's when people desperate, in, completely desperate, and. And of course, you can you can have compassion for people in that state because what are they supposed to do? Yeah, I mean, it feels like they feel like they're dying, and so of course they're gonna have that little moment of weakness, and they're gonna, you know, maybe they have something to do that day, or maybe they have kids to take care of, so they're gonna do what they have to do to feel better. It's that's when people really need help, and that, but that might also be the best place for someone to be. It is actually much easier to work with someone who get sick when they stop taking a yeah. drug. Because though you it's hard to argue like no I'm not an addict but I just get I sick. I just party all the time. Yeah. I party so much that I get sick when I don't party. Like there people aren't hardly ma- there's it's hard to argue that you don't have a problem when you're shooting heroin all day. Yeah. Right. Now if you're just using coke, you know, 3 or 4 times a week you know, there's all that gray area where people get in where they're like, well, it's not a problem. I just like to get high sometimes. Well, you know what they call that gray area, right? It drives me nuts, the word. Functional. Oh, functional alcoholic. What does that mean? <laughs> He's a functional alcoholic. What does that mean? Well, he works all day, and then as soon as 5 o'clock hits, he drinks a fifth. And then wakes up and does it all again. But he's functional. Because he doesn't miss work most of the time. I've talked to so many functional meth addicts too. Like, oh, I just put a little bit in my coffee every morning. And I, I, I eat three meals a day and then I sleep at night. And it, you look at them and they look, I mean, they look like they've been dipped in frying oil, you know. Like, <laughs> it's like your, your brain, is like you're screwed. Yeah. But they can't see it because it, there's something blind to ourself to our own condition because we can always find someone worse that that's like a whole entire topic of justifying where we are because there's always somebody worse and plus i don't want to be an addict you know i'm yeah. not a that's another right. reason too it's like how do you know you're an addict well there's that thing it's like every the, most people would rather be seen outside of a bar than outside of an aa meeting right because one of them, you can still pretend like you have control. Yeah. And the other one, you have to admit that you don't have control. And people see that as a weakness, especially addicts. So there's a big social element of, of, of that as well. This problem is it so It was huge. for me. It's it a, was for me. I knew, I knew if I was going to be successful, I was going to have to go all in, right? And yeah. be that guy. That I was extremely open about it. I would try to ha- have to help people that it, you know meetings and counseling and was just going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life if I was going to overcome and that is a that's like standing at the bottom of Mount Everest and going I got to get up there and mentally that was massive and I finally just had to say you know what so be it and people start climbing 
people never get there. It, it's almost like the addict is not even the stigma. It's like being in recovery is the stigma. Yes. I have so that I've been saying all this the whole time. So many people say it, but they do. Like, oh man, I'm not Mr. Recovery or anything. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be that guy that's in recovery for the rest of his life, sitting around at age 60 in an AA meeting still, complaining about, you know, people who are drinking. Yes, you are. And that's the thing. It's so hard to get people to see the value of being in recovery is so much better than what you're doing out there. Yeah. The yeah. friends that you make, the opportunities that you'll have, being able to remember what you said the day before, not having to scrounge around for pills. Yep. That life of freedom and you trade it be the, the trade-off is that you go to a meeting, you know, mm-hmm. or you read a book. And it's like, for me, it's a no-brainer. It is. But our brains have rewired themselves. Yeah, but my brain still doesn't want to go to a damn meeting. <laughs> I still don't want to do it. And I do it professionally. Because, because something in you is telling you you have to, and you're like me. You don't want to be told what to do. If I have to do something, I just don't want to do it. Exactly. All I have to do is walk down the hall to go to a meeting. I'm like, oh, man, come on. But you know what? We've said this before on previous podcasts. And we know this now, but it's hard for people to understand. When you get to the point to where your story and your experience can help other people, that seems to be the only thing greater than what our brains tell us how great that drug we are taking is. And you could do that right off the top. That's right. You can walk in an NA meeting. And share. And just say, man, I really don't want to get high today, but I really want to get high. And and for... People who are in that meeting, I don't care if you've been clean for 20 years, that will help that person. That's because they're, I'm inspired that they walked in that That they walked in. That's right. That's right. That's the most meaningful type of stuff that I hear. Yeah. Because it's so raw. Like, it's so real. It is. It is. So let me ask you guys this before we close this out. When do you think you become an addict uh, if you are using a substance? And then... At that point, um, you know, how easy is it to quit to you? Or is it, do you have to come hit a rock bottom, quote unquote? Um, Are you ashamed or do you not want to be that recovery guy or girl? Uh, Lots of questions, right? Lots of questions. Lots of questions. So we'd love to have your comments below. And uh, thanks for watching and we'll come to you soon. Thanks, guys. And please reach out to us if you have a recovery story that you would like us to share on the podcast. Send us an email. We'd be happy to hear from you. Awesome. That was actually a really good one, man.